We all have that friend who wakes up early to go get everyone McDonald's breakfast while the rest of us sleep in. This is your sign to thank them. And if you're that friend, this is us saying thank you. Now get a sausage McMuffin, sausage biscuit, sausage burrito, or hash browns. Choose two for $2.50. Enjoy a large iced coffee for just $2. Price of participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer or combo meal. Single item at regular price. This is the Exxon Broadcast Network, broadcasting worldwide on broadcast affiliates and satellite program providers, including CNN Broadcast Network, Sirius Satellite Network, Star Media, Good News Radio Network, Angel Broadcast Network, Wiki Broadcast Network, and WPBN-TV. For more information on the X-Zone Broadcast Network, visit us at www.xzbn.net. Welcome you all back to the Ask Dr. Gibbs show. This is show number three. Time flies when you're having a good time on XZone Radio, xzbn.net. First, let me uh, thank um, the many people who responded to my first advertisement on Facebook. Many of you um, indicated that you saw my invitation and were positive. I got the impression that maybe a few of you will even listen in, and uh, a couple of you even asked uh, me some questions about the uh, material today. The um, if, if you want to, I in further invite you to go to YouTube, um, write in my name, Gibbs Williams, or the uh, radio show, Ask Dr. Gibbs, and you will see that there's a uh, image of a guess, psychiatrist um, taking notes with a patient on a couch, psychiatric couch. And I guess it's no coincidence that that particular image is there. Obviously, it refers to uh, this material. And you will see that there are two broadcasts. I invite you each to uh, listen, and you'll get a uh, reasonably good overview of this material. Uh, it's also important that you appreciate that I will be talking about uh, material from essentially five different areas of interest. One of them obviously has to do with the nature of synchronicities and the uses, best uses to which they can be put. Other areas include the prevention and treatment of heroin addiction. Uh, also, uh, one topic is the effective management of anxiety, stress, depression, and frustration, mainly without the use of any medication. Third area of interest has to do with uh, proposing a revision in the training of policemen and citizens with an aim towards de-escalating uh, potential violence. And a fourth issue besides synchronicities, is if some of you are thinking about um, calling a therapist and 
consulting about the possibility of uh, getting into some kind of uh, psychotherapy, or maybe you're stuck in the psychotherapy you already are in, I know that this interest will stir a number of questions such as uh, how does a patient become a, how does a person become a patient? Uh, who should you seek out? Uh, it isn't the therapy so much, it's the therapist, and you want to be make, of course, the best fit. So how do you know how to do that? How do things change, if they're going to change? How do you know that you're changing, where you're stuck, or how do you get unstuck? And th these kinds of issues. So in subsequent shows, I'll be um, highlighting one or more of these um, issues. For the moment, though, I want to continue on today with giving more of an overview and my key points as to the nature of synchronicities and the uses to which they can be put. I want to also make it clear that this subject matter, which I've been researching for 50 years, so I must have started when I was two months old, is um, it's really a labor of love. Just when I think I've exhausted all there is to say, or anybody else has to say, some new thing pops up as it did this morning when I was able to clarify um, something with respect to uh, spelling out what I think actually occurs with everybody who has synchronicities and is interested in trying to decode the implied message that they contain. Uh, I'll go into that somewhat later. I'm just trying to emphasize the fact that um, this is never boring. One of my core aims for presenting this material at all is to share with you the excitement and interest that I've been able to have for this 50-year period. And if I have it, you can have it. And it certainly makes life much more exciting and interesting and uh, fascinating with these fascinating pieces of uh, content. Um, Jung, as I have stated, and the Jungians have approximately a 95% lock on everything to do with synchronicities, the theories, the application, the literature. And if you go along with him and most of his followers, he explicitly states that after he has exhausted um, what he has to say, primarily with three anti-causal arguments, anti-scientific arguments, in which he concludes that a rational explanation of these ama often amazingly experienced events are incapable of any rational explanation, if you go along with him, there's really nothing more to say. That's it. We resume in a few seconds. This is Kevin Randall. For nearly 30 years, I have been investigating the case of the Roswell UFO. 
I have interviewed hundreds of people and stood on the crash site. Now in Roswell in the 21st century, I have reviewed dozens of hours of audio and videotaped interviews, examined hundreds of files that relate to the crash, and have returned to Roswell in an attempt to put all that information into the proper perspective. For the first time in Roswell in the 21st century, I have made a dispassionate reevaluation of all that material and provide a new look at what happened. This is a book that clears away all the clutter that has hidden the truth for so long, strips away the various lies that surround the case, exposes the Air Force attempts at cover-up, and found a core of solid information that tells us all where the case stands today. Roswell in the 21st century will be available in just a few weeks. For more information, please visit my website at www.kevinrandall.blogspot.com. Gibbs A. Williams, Ph.D., is a practicing psychoanalyst, supervisor, researcher, and author in New York City. Much of his life has been dedicated to understanding nature and the uses of meaningful coincidences or synchronicities. His radical and original non-Jungian, non-mystical, non-magical theory of synchronicities illuminates much of the fog surrounding this challenging and perplexing topic. His ideas and manners are fresh, presented in a style that is both entertaining and highly informative. He is also an expert on crisis intervention, specially focused on violence reduction for the police and citizens, mastering anxiety, frustration, and stress without the use of medication, and effectively preventing and treating heroin addiction. Dr. Williams can be contacted at his email address at gwwilliamsny11 at aol.com or visit his website at www.drgibbswilliams.com. Shamanism is recognized as a method to access the quantum level. Mastery of shamanic skills puts spiritual information and healing power into your hands. Path Home Shamanic Art School, a bonded Colorado certified occupational school, has met rigorous state standards ensuring its director and instructors have the qualifications to teach the shamanic arts. Path Home offers its certification program in blocks of study. Block 1, a five-day intensive, will be held in the beautiful mountain town of Coldale, Colorado, October 13th through 18th. Registration deadline is September 12th. Experience journey trance, power animals, helping spirits, sacred space, and life purpose. Come discover your power. Join me, Gwilda Wiyaka, in the magical world of shamanism. Call 303-775-3431 or visit findyourpathhome.com. Welcome back to the Ask Dr. Gibbs show, Xzone Radio, xzbn.net. Um, I want to continue on with an overview of this most interesting and challenging subject matter. As I said, the Jungians generally have a lock on explanation of which they say a rational explanation is not even conceivable. Well, to this major in philosophy at Columbia years and years ago, I thought to myself, this is a little um, uh, bold and simply flew in the face of everything that I had been studying with respect to utilizing scientific method to try to understand the most complex of subjects. And it just didn't fit right, even though the skeptical part of me said, now, I think there's probably more, not exactly knowing what it would be. Another part of me 
fervently wanted to believe that he's absolutely right. And that what he would be right about is that these synchronicities or meaningful coincidences really have the force of feeling when they're really powerful. There's the force of feeling that something transcendent is out there and sending some kind of messages to you personally and that they may be dec uh, encoded forms, so you have to decode them. I guess like a dream that you're very much impressed by. You know something big is happening. You know exactly what to make of it, but it feels big. And, of course, the implications of this experience is that if you're right, then it implies that there's a messenger or that's conscious and sending messages, usually in the form of some kind of guidance or of validity for experiencing or something directly to you and certainly have a feeling of specialness and indeed you have a feeling of um, meaningfulness which extends to daily life. You now much of life is uh, fairly boring, fairly routine, habitual, same old thing. So when you get an extraordinary moment in time which these feel these experiences often feel like, you really take note and you really, if you take them seriously, you, you note them, you share them. For example, on Facebook, there's a, a very good website that I belong to on synchronicities. I think it's a closed group, but if you will mention my name, maybe I have some influence about opening up the door for you to join. And I think you'll find a very lively discussion from uh, day to day with respect to people um, describing their most uh, amazing events and what they mean to them and so forth. Um, what I'm really trying to say is that from my vantage point, there's, there is more to say. And my research of 50 years, in effect, is a rebuttal of three anti-causal uh, arguments or anti-scientific arguments that Jung uh, posited, one of them having to do with method, another having to do with meaning, another having to do with time, and concluding, which is most important, that there really is nothing to be said other than uh, you have these experiences and that they're very important. And from his vantage point, what is happening is that people are having a truly spiritual experience in his terms and what presumably these things are are indicators that often feelings of being split in terms of oneself are being healed and these so-called splits are being reconciled and that the aim is to get all of these splits internally reconciled so that you can have a, an experience of not only unity within yourself but unity with the nature of reality. So that indeed this is a uh, offshoot of Plato and a serious investigation of research into synchronicities indicates that the, there has been an ongoing dialogue starting with uh, the platonic uh, position of reality versus Aristotle. One is more or less spiritual, the other is more or less scientific. They come at it from two different points of view. We all have that friend who wakes up early to go get everyone McDonald's breakfast while the rest of us sleep in. This is your sign to thank them. And if you're that friend, this is us saying thank you. 
Now get a sausage McMuffin, sausage biscuit, sausage burrito, or hash browns. Choose two for $2.50. Enjoy a large iced coffee for just $2. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer or combo meal. Single item at regular price. And then you uh, bring it to modern times, and you have a on, same dialogue between Freud and Jung, in which uh, Jung is essentially Platonistic, and Freud is essentially Aristotelian. So you have the ongoing debate. And of course, the debate is essentially not that these things exist, and, and everybody has the same amazement, initial amazement. The question is, what do you make of them? What do you do with it? If you essentially adopt a sort of spiritual position, then you're going to be flooded with a, a, a state of awe and being in the presence of the uncanny where the conventional boundaries of time and space disappear and there's a marvelous sense of it one probably akin to uh, getting high on uh, a pot or better or worse depending upon you how you look at it and there's a sense of uh, great meaning uh, where you're flooded with what Jung refer- refers to as an experience of numinosity and religiosity, and it's a pretty pretty special thing. Uh, the messages, and there's a felt sense that you're being sent a message, although in coded form, and you have to try to figure out what the uh, method is. And uh, Jung has a particular uh, way of decoding synchronicities, as does uh, Freud and myself. So in effect, what I'm trying to say is that there are alternative points of view uh, in which the Jungians essentially say they got a lock on the point of view with that they're just just so stories and you might as well just um, bathe in uh, numinosity. I hope I'm not uh, shortchanging their position. Whereas Freud and people like me, the other 5%, uh, don't just stop at that point but go further trying to scientifically understand the nature of synchronicities and the use to which they are put. That's important to emphasize. Jung says there is no science of synchronicities because science essentially depends upon experimentation and cause and effect, establishing cause and effect relationships because the uh, synchronicities appear sort of like firefly flashes you never know when they're going to happen, and you can, and how are you going to pin down a firefly flash? You can't do that. So if you can't experiment, if you can't replicate, uh, you know, doing something, and then um, seeing the effect of the action that you do, then there's no way, presumably, of scientifically understanding how these things work. Well, true, until you Im- look at these events as embedded in personal context of psychological context, sociological context, historical context of a person, and then you begin to see that you can treat or you can look at each synchronicity as if it were like a waking dream. And of course, dream analysis depends upon taking the storyline and trying to understand the plot, and you understand the plot by viewing the dream in the context of a person's ongoing flow of experience. That is why, if anybody is seriously interested in this topic, I urge you, please start a daily journal or monthly journal. A journal is different than a 
diary. A diary is I had hamburgers for breakfast, hamburgers for breakfast, odd breakfast. And uh, you, you called this person and you went to this movie and you had this feeling and whatever. A journal is taking all your experiences and sort of looking for that experience which jumps out at you because it seems to have special meaning. You may have one sentence for a month. You may have 17 pages in 15 minutes. Write as much or as little in the journal as possible and date it. Why is that important? Because if and when you have a synchronicity, you date the synchronicity and then you shove it into the place in your journal that has the same date and you have the event the synchronicity embedded in a psychological and historical context. And that's the way in which you can go about, so I believe, scientifically starting to examine uh, what these things are all about. Essentially, they have to do with the way people um, – well, let me uh, keep that on the side. Why are these things important? Um, of what use are they really? And – uh, what, what, for example, would sustain a 50-year interest in these particular events? I've already hinted that all synchronicities are different, but they have a common structure. There's a experience you have, a subjective experience of some idea or desire, whatever, in internal reality that somehow connects with some kind of a parallel event in external reality. And while these things seemingly are bound together by a, a significance of meaning, they appear to be uncaused. So for example, Jung and Freud had a really important shared synchronicity, which uh, has great importance for the history of uh, understanding synchronicities. Freud had invited Jung to his um, outside uh, or his summer cottage, and, it and he invited him at a very particular time in the history of the psychoanalytic movement. It was at a point where Freud was right on the verge of uh, bestowing the mantle of leadership of the psychoanalytic movement onto Jung. So it was a you know, very key experience for both of them, time experience. They're, they're getting together, and Jung is very excited about the fact that he has made some important breakthroughs with respect to um, his interest in occult phenomena. And Freud appreciated Jung's curiosity about these matters, and contrary to uh, uh, cliché opinion, Freud was very much uh, interested in matters of the occult. For example, he believed and concluded, which he tried to keep secret because he felt that people would um, discredit psychoanalysis, he concluded that telepathy is real and has many interesting papers on the subject. He was also interested in synchronicities and has a number of uh, papers which I think anybody interested would be uh, fascinated by. So he was encouraging Jung. On the other hand, he also had the feeling that like 
with a lot of these matters of the occult, you can get to um, you can get off the track. You can get seduced by this stuff. And as Jung is excitedly conveying his um, experiences with Freud, Freud says, "Look, uh, you got to be careful here. I care. Um, I'm concerned that you might be getting." Um, overwhelmed in the what he called the black mud of occultism. And Jung, 25 years his junior, and I think really looked to Freud as a father figure, I think felt really patronized and dissed by Freud the master. And there was already some basic disagreement as to what was most important in uh, the structure of neurosis. Freud, of course, had the sense that everything was based upon um, frustrations in terms of sexuality. We'll have to stop at that point and continue on in a couple of minutes. Did you know that when you're on the road with limited data or Wi-Fi, you can still listen to the Exome Radio Show with Rob McConnell, The Science of Magic with Gwilda Wiaka, High Tech with Corey Kay, and every minute of the 24-7, 365 programming of the Exome Broadcast Network by calling 712-432-9459, courtesy of TalkStream Live. No smartphone, app, or internet needed. It saves your data plan, and it's free if you have unlimited minutes. Call 712-432-9459 to listen on any phone, anytime, anywhere. Remember, 712-432-9459 for the best of paranormal, new age, thought-provoking, sci-fi radio programming 24-7, 365. Wouldn't you love to know the secret to everything? Well then, meet Dr. Kimberly McGeorge and her cutting-edge breakthrough knowledge that combines science with possibility. Dr. Kimberly brings real-life answers and healing to those open to alternative solutions. She teaches solution-based programs and classes that will change all areas of your life forever. Specializing in conscious creation, intuitive readings, and energy medicine, you can rapidly shift health, relationships, business, and money and abundance challenges quickly. Receive her best-selling book, Secret to Everything, at no cost by going to secrettoeverything.com forward slash xzone. That's right. Transformation can start now. Just go to secrettoeverything.com forward slash xzone and receive Dr. Kimberly's book for free. While science pursues fact, magic accesses the quantum level, bridging random facts to form truth. As long as science and magic remain separate and polarized, the truth cannot be known. I'm Gwilda Wiecka. Join me on the Science of Magic radio program, dedicated to unification and evolution of consciousness. During each episode, I'll be speaking with experienced and respected scientists and mystics. 
From astrologers to astronomers, from medical doctors to shaman, the scientific method to dowsing and intuition, we'll weave together information from seemingly divergent practices to promote unity and enlightenment. Join me, Gwilda Wiyaka, and the Science of Magic right here on the Mutual Broadcast Network. For more information, visit www.thescienceofmagic.net. I am Dr. Carl O'Helvey, founder, president of a new cancer foundation focusing on evidence-based physical, mental, and spiritual interventions, including natural cancer cures, prayer, meditation, affirmations, nutrition, and other related holistic cancer prevention and cure modalities. These are used in cancer education, research, and financing care. I ask for your help to continue this important work by donating at www.holisticcancerfoundation.com. Welcome back to the Ask Dr. Gibbs show. We ended on a nice note of uh, discussion about sexuality. In any event, Jung felt that Freud was too narrowly uh, myopic with respect to seeing the structure of neuroses as based on uh, conflicts of uh, sexuality, whereas uh, Freud felt that um, Jung was missing the point and getting too carried away with whatever his ideas of spirituality were. So they already had a pretty definite split by the time uh, the two of them got together in uh, Freud's cottage. Freud, Jung felt increasingly uptight around Freud's um, – what he felt was patronizing him. And he – felt as if I guess he was feeling increasingly angry. He describes it as his chest started to feel like uh, molten lava and he was uh, getting all uh, you know uh, bothered and so forth. What he's really describing is he's furious at Freud and I guess sort of indirectly had to use his flowery language to describe uh, this powerful feeling. At any event, as they're talking together, they're suddenly – was a clap that came apparently in the direction of the bookcases. And Jung said, you know, that's an example of what he was talking about called an exteriorization phenomena in which um, it's like the Pauli effect. Uh, Jung and Pauli, Pauli was a famous physicist and the two got together and Pauli was apparently a person of enormous magnetism, personal uh, per, uh, magnetism, and it was said that he had so much power that when he walked into a scientific lab, often beakers of glass would just explode <laughs> in his presence, and the effect was called the Pauli effect. So certain uh, people seem to have these 
kind of powerful, uh, intense personalities that uh, are like, you know, they radiate this um, enormous uh, pressure that affects the environment in this way. Uh, we have one such person uh, running for president. You get my point. In any event, the um, as they're talking and they're fundamentally disagreeing over um, occult phenomena, Jung says, now there's an example of what I'm, I'm talking about, this exteriorization uh, effect. Freud says, bosh. We don't use that word anymore. Freud says, bosh, meaning, oh, come on, get with it, get with the program. Jung, that really irritates Jung. And as he's trying to uh, hold himself in check from probably exploding or uh, hitting Freud with a book, he says, quite convincingly, and I think it's going to happen again. Bang. It happens again. That thunderclap or that loud noise from the bookcase. This time, Freud is really impressed. He was open-minded enough to uh, take amazing events as amazing events, unexplainable at the moment, but at least giving them their due. In the letters between Freud and Jung, subsequent letters, Freud first indicates that he's really impressed with uh, Jung's uh, discoveries here and his ideas and gives him credit. But Freud being Freud didn't stop there. He said, there's got to be a rational explanation. And indeed, one day, as he is in his library during summer months, a periodically was that same clap. And he deduced that the books, that the um, wood in the bookcases uh, at certain points would dry out. And when it dried out enough, it would create that noise. Then, of course, the question is, well, how did the noise happen to occur right at the moment that Jung and Freud were discussing? Uh, his experiences of uh, synchronicities. And, of course, there's more discussion and more theorizing. And uh, Freud's essential uh, conclusion was that coincidences occur all the time and that it happened to be a chance um, sound that Jung attributed extra meaning to to validate his uh, position on synchronicities and so forth. The point I'm trying to make is that there is the Jungian way of looking at this, that essentially it is a combination of psychodynamics and spirituality where, you, where Freud would say, uh, look, uh, it's tempting to think that you're in touch with uh, an extraterritorial transcendent realm of spiritual experience, but don't get too carried away. And even if we can't find a causal explanation, a rational explanation, contrary to your belief that no rational explanation is even conceivable, there probably is, and we have to leave it to future scientists to try to pin down exactly what's happening. Um, I've elected myself to be one of those future scientists that has spent 50 years to try to uh, give a rational explanation of how these things occur. That leads to um, my excitement of this morning when I was able to uh, extend uh, some of my ideas and add into the picture of what I believe is a rational explanation of synchronicities, I was able to spell out, I was able to add in certain variables that I were up to this moment uh, sort of um, 
not joined together, not synthesized. So that, for example, I believe that all synchronicities that are major, and of course the difference between a coincidence, a meaningful coincidence and a synchronicity is the special meaning that the event has for the um, person who has the synchronicity. Coincidences occur all the time. Most of them are not all that meaningful. Occasionally, you have those rare events where something really flashes out as extraordinarily important, like the synchronicity, that the shared synchronicity that Freud and Jung had. Let me give you another that's an iconic um, Jungian uh, synchronicity in which he is with a patient and uh, she and he are stuck in the therapy, as often happens, the psychological impasse. And they started circling you know, symptoms and same old material, nothing fresh, nothing new. And at such points, often there's a break in the therapy and one or the other gets bored and, or the uh, therapist feels uh, the uh, patient is resisting, which is ridiculous, and sort of ends it. In any event, Jung says to himself, this particular patient who is a woman who from his vantage point has too much animus, she's too masculine, meaning she's overly rational and she needs to get to her feelings and he doesn't know exactly how to be able to do that and he thinks she needs some kind of psychological shock treatment, not sure how to do it. So some new experience that's going to shake her up. As he is actively in his notes uh, conjecturing this particular patient, how he's stuck, she comes in and reports a dream of the previous night in which she is handed a golden scarab piece of jewelry that has a kind of orangey uh, color, coloration. And she's handed it by a, a, a person, I think a male, and she has this most um, electric uh, experience. As she is describing the content of her dream, Jung, sitting next to a window, hears a tap on the pane and looks at it. And because he had been a um, knowledgeable botanist, was able to identify that there, this was an insect, um, a scary beetle coloration of scar scarab color. And he was able to open the window pane, put the beetle into his hand, referred to it as a golden scarab, gets up, walks over to the patient, takes her hand, puts the beetle in and says, here's your scarab. She goes presumably nutty in a good way. She's extraordinarily excited, as probably one might be with this interesting synchronicity. What is most important is that Jung concludes that she that, – that this beetle has extraordinary importance because him also being a master of archetypal knowledge says or notes that this golden scary beetle is a, an example of an ancient Egyptian symbol for rebirth. When you put the two together, you get the point. So Jung is obviously as excited, if not more excited, about the synchronicity than the patient. Now, it is most noteworthy 
that Jung, who kept copious notes of everything he did, he's got volumes and volumes and volumes of, of notes, has about one paragraph with respect to this momentous occasion where he believed, he says, that this was the most important synchronicity of his life. He also contradicts himself a few more times, but at least this was a major event. So whether or not the patient had a breakthrough and was able to get her to her anima and presumably um, be able to have a balance between masculine and feminine and aggression and tenderness and so forth, we're not sure because he doesn't have any follow through. And he never asked the patient, what does this mean to her? She, she, un, undoubtedly, she would not have said, oh, this is obviously a um, symbol of an Egyptian, um, a symbol for rebirth. She wouldn't do that. But we'll never know because Jung never um, asked her. And uh, my feeling is it was really not so much the patient's um, uh, synchronicity, although maybe it was, but we do no follow-up notes. But it certainly was uh, Jung's synchronicity in which he validated that many of his ideas about synchronicity were valid. So it had him feel he's really on the right road. And for many years after, uh, he was able to propose his uh, very interesting theory of synchronicities. Um, I left off last week where I was giving you all a overview of how I got personally interested in synchronicities. And I mentioned my own uh, iconic synchronicity, which I call uh, Lazarus Rising. So for anybody who's interested, I would please go to the second broadcast and hear how that developed and um, what I uh, was at that phase of my life um, um, immersed in the what I call the lure of the occult, in which I attended uh, the First Spiritualist Church of New York and met with some extremely interesting people, among them a psychiatrist who dictated, went into trance and purportedly dictated uh, poetry from Freud and Jung. It's on this level that um, I met some really fascinating people and had some amazing experiences. Largely as a result of that Lazarus raising experience, I had the sense that maybe the world really might be spiritualized. And if so, then miracles are possible and that certain assertions such as getting wisdom from, let's say, master teachers or uh, relatives who had died or guides or whatever might really be possible. And at that time in my life, if nothing else, I, I was terribly confused and wished that I had a handle on wisdom and good guidance, which I did not have, including two failed psychotherapies. We'll have to take a break now and uh, finish up in a few minutes. As host of Dialogue with Divinity, I am thrilled to join the Exxon Broadcast Network and their growing number of affiliates. My quest for a connection to the divine 
ignited my successful career path as an international spiritual counselor for over 40 years and author of four books and well-known metaphysical educator. My clients call me their spiritual mama. So my job is to offer you a radio show to help you grow spiritually with wisdom and get specific tools from guests who are experts in their field. Tune into Dialogue with Divinity and be part of the conversation with spirit. My goal, your happy soul. For more information, please visit my website at johannacarroll.com. Did you know that when you're on the road with limited data or Wi-Fi, you can still listen to the Exome Radio Show with Rob McConnell, The Science of Magic with Gwilda Wiaka, High Tech with Corey Kay, and every minute of the 24-7, 365 programming of the Exome Broadcast Network by calling 712-432-9459, courtesy of TalkStream Live. No smartphone, app, or internet needed. It saves your data plan, and it's free if you have unlimited minutes. Call 712-432-9459 to listen on any phone, anytime, anywhere. Remember, 712-432-9459 for the best of paranormal, new age, thought-provoking, sci-fi radio programming 24-7-365. Coming soon to the Exxon Broadcast Network is a different perspective with me, Kevin Randall, as your host. We'll be taking a close look at what is happening in the world of UFOs today with side trips into the paranormal. Guests will range from those who are household names to those who have a different perspective on a variety of topics. No topic will be taboo, but there will be tough questions asked as we all search for the truth about UFOs, the paranormal, and those things that excite us. Sometimes we'll agree with a guest and sometimes we won't, but we'll try to keep the program topical. For those of you who would like to read, be sure to visit www.kevinrandall.blogspot.com and remember to listen to the other fine programs on the X-Zone Broadcast Network at www.xzbn.net. This is Kevin Randall. For nearly 30 years, I have been investigating the case of the Roswell UFO. I have interviewed hundreds of people and stood on the crash site. Now in Roswell in the 21st century, I have reviewed dozens of hours of audio and videotaped interviews, examined hundreds of files that relate to the crash, and have returned to Roswell in an attempt to put all that information into the proper perspective. For the first time in Roswell in the 21st century, I have made a dispassionate reevaluation of all that material and provide a new look at what happened. This is a book that clears away all the clutter that has hidden the truth for so long, strips away the various lies that surround the case, exposes the Air Force attempts at cover-up, and found a core of solid information that tells us all where the case stands today. Roswell in the 21st Century will be available in just a few weeks. For more information, please visit my website at www.kevinrandall.blogspot.com.
What Happened in Benghazi is revealed by Nicholas Genix, author of Obama, Islam, and Benghazi. He informs the American people that President Obama deceived them by advocating a strong foreign policy prior to the 2012 presidential election, and Hillary Clinton supported this deception. As the title infers, there is a connection between Obama, Islam, and Benghazi. Ample evidence informs Americans that Obama's early indoctrination in the Quran developed an infinity for Islam, why the Quran is the source of discontent in many countries, and why the Obama foreign policy deception led to poor military action and caused the loss of American lives in Benghazi. Genex provides 36 questions for the Select Committee on Benghazi to validate if Americans are justified to mistrust President Obama and Hillary Clinton. An overview of Obama, Islam, and Benghazi is presented on the website www.futureofgodamen.com. That's www.futureofgodamen.com. Afterlife expert Roberta Grimes was the first one to say that dying can be fun. Now her best-selling book, The Fun of Dying, is available in stores worldwide. So if you wonder whether death ends life, how it feels to die, or what heaven might be like, The Fun of Dying was written for you. And if you have always been afraid of death, or if you worry that your life is no meaning, let The Fun of Dying ease your fears and bring new meaning to your life. Nothing said in The Fun of Dying is based on the teachings of any religion. Instead, Roberta draws on evidence to explain how death happens, how it feels, and what comes next. A lot of the best death-related evidence was produced in the first half of the 20th century. When it is put together with recent discoveries, it tells a consistent and amazing story. Roberta Grimes blogs and answers questions at robertagrimes.com. Her wonderful book, The Fun of Dying, is available on Amazon and at stores worldwide wherever books are sold. Back to the Ask Dr. Gibb show. Um, in this last segment, I want to continue to um, give an overview of my particular interest in researching synchronicities. Uh, as I said, uh, I guess like Jung, uh, shaken in a good way with respect to his um, – working with this particular patient, as I said, I think it was more Jung synchronicity than hers. And he was, he really was shaken. And what it did was to validate a lot of ideas that had been spinning in his head relative to uh, proposing his own unique theory of synchronicities. Um, from my vantage point, the Lazarus raising synchronicity was at a time where I was really extraordinarily stuck in my own personal development. I felt uh, at, on the one hand I'd graduated uh, college. I was on the way to uh, becoming a therapist in training. But the truth of it is, while I probably looked good and sounded good, I felt really uh, terribly confused and overwhelmed with what I can look back now and say was probably psychological overload. In effect, I was becoming increasingly more um, stuck. This was despite two attempts at various kinds of therapy where I was a serious um, patient, uh, four years twice a week on the couch with no insurance, 
second one was a, was a with a gestalt therapist where it was twice a week again on the couch with no insurance. So I was real serious. I failed both, or perhaps they failed me. Or what I learned was you don't go into therapy. You go into a extended dialogue with a therapist. And it's crucial that from the very beginning you have a sense of you're in good hands and the person knows more than you do, and they can really be a reliable guide in which there's an atmosphere of basic trust so you feel like you're working with somebody in a collaboration rather than to feel something's been done to you where you got this great wise man or woman who's dispensing wisdom and you just regurgitate it and follow the rules and so forth. In any event, I didn't know that then. So I was feeling increasingly more split, empty, confused. While I was on the path to becoming a psychotherapist and eventually a psychoanalyst, uh, it didn't feel right. I knew something was really missing, and I was out of sync, out of sync. So that when I had this, what felt like a revelation from this uh, Lazarus rising thing, half of me really was, I, I was shocked in a good way. I really felt that maybe, just maybe, as I said, reality is spiritualized and that there are master teachers and having read the literature, like, for example, Alice Bailey, you know, I read some really deep stuff and, 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 you, and you have um, marvelous literature with respect to these very deep thinkers and uh, people who experience things. And Ospensky comes to mind and so forth. And I really took the path of trying to gobble up as much um, knowledge about esoterica as I possibly could. I started making astrology charts. I, I, I took lessons in tarot. I, was, um, I read everything there was to be on mysticism and what I would call high-level spirituality as opposed to what I think is low-level religion. At least it felt that way to me. In any event, while I felt that there was a possibility of being saved and rescued and made whole and a pathway to wholeness, and I think the lure of the occult was that it provided a connection with my core experience, which was myself rather than a collection of functions like id, ego, superego is a um, very good way of conceptualizing uh, psychological structure. Nevertheless, it missed a feeling of me being a whole person so that I was – my whole self could be present and there was no language for that. So that – take, for example, the, astro the astrological wheel. That's a really fascinating thing. So everybody knows what they um, uh, – your uh, what do they call that thing? Uh, the astrological um, – you know, the, uh, the circle with the 360 divisions and you have 12 houses and each house represents an area of your life of whatever. And it's a good way of describing everybody's life. So that, for example, you have a fixed amount of energy, which you get uh, after you've exhausted all your energy equals gas and you go to sleep and you recharge the tank and you fill it all up. And then you have 100% of gas or energy or libido that you're going to be distributing next day in one or more areas. And you can shoot it all in uh, 15 minutes in one area, or you can distribute it over, let's say, a balanced um, 
uh, a balance through various, let's say, 12 areas of your life, like um, your intellect and your, your love life and your intellectual life and your work and whatever. You get the point. And it's a really good way of describing what everybody's life really feels like in reality. And this, this appealed to me, that there was a way of viewing my own separate pieces, my own separate selves in the context of some promised sense of unity and togetherness, which really appealed to me. That lasted until I was on a bus going to a spiritual camp where they were going to have demonstrations of uh, trumpets and readings and um, tarot readings and astrology readings and uh, messages from dead departed and so forth. I was all excited. I'm on this bus trip filled with my interest in the occult and a little old lady uh, bends down and says in my ear, you're lucky. I said, well, that's nice. What am I lucky about? And she says, you're going to be tapped into the um, secret society of St. Germain when you get to uh, Effort of Pennsylvania where this occult demonstration thing was going to be occurring. And I said, well, that's nice. What is it? And she says, no, you just keep my, take my words. You're going to be pleasantly surprised. Well, that felt nice. It's, you know, I don't generally get tapped into societies for St. Germain every day, so that was a rather thrilling event. A few minutes later, another little old lady bends down and says in my ear, I want to warn you. <laughs> warn me about she says, somebody is probably going to tap you into the secret society of St. Germain. Beware, she's a fraud. She's a fraud? Oh, no. Now, I had been aware and, and terribly disappointed with most of the authority figures I had in my life. And it was primarily due to the fact that I had a very hyper-authoritarian father who I don't think really had the faintest idea of who I really was and certainly didn't like being me being separate and different and he hated me asking thousand questions and he said you think you overthink you think too much and be more natural and you're too stiff and you're too self-conscious he put me down all the time so I was all screwed up in that area what I realized was that you can't seem to escape politics and there's good politics in which people are cooperative and working together and there's lousy politics, as exemplified by the last eight years in our government, and what people are often complaining about for good reason, where there's you know a sense of adversarialness and so forth. In any event, I felt politically disturbed, both internally and externally. And the crowning blow was when these two different women are telling me that even in religion, even in spirituality, where I thought I finally had a safe harbor and I was on the right path, there's politics. So I became very cynical and felt like, you know, this is not exactly a waste of time, but I got, I, I got flooded with contradictory feelings and I'm back to my same stock point. I mentioned the stock point because my experience is that synchronicities often do start when a person feels that they have reached a psychological impasse. They really don't know how to proceed on their pathway through life. This is the 
origin, the groundwork in which synchronicities occur. All right, if what I discovered this morning was, that's not going to make New York Times headlines. Who doesn't get stuck? Everybody gets stuck. The issue is, I think, what do you do with the stuckness? What are your attitudes to being stuck? From my vantage point, and that's what I plugged in this morning, there are essentially two basic attitudes. One is negative, one is positive. On the negative end, on the extreme negative end, there's a tendency to want to escape the pain that goes along with feeling psychologically stuck. And you're stuck usually in terms of what to do for a living or who you are as a person, identity issues, and then what are you going to do in order to have a meaningful life. So you tend to be stuck in one or both of these areas. The um, way most many people deal with that stuckness is try to avoid the pain by inducing some kind of altered state such as any of the addictions, um, drugs and um, pot and TV and the tablets and a piece of knowledge or sexuality. It doesn't matter. Get hooked on something which temporarily takes you away from your pain. I guess we'll have to um, stop here, and I want to pick up and continue on um, next uh, week. And I thank you all for listening. I hope you will uh, join the uh, website, and you'll write me, and you'll ask questions, and um, we will continue. Thanks for being who you are. <laughs>